Good morning, Zoe Church. I hope you guys have been enjoying your summer. Hope it's uh, afforded an opportunity for you to get out, enjoy the sun, and just enjoy some of the summer that we get to have here in Minnesota. As we all know, it's not long until fall is coming. I'm not sure if you've ever uh, experienced an act of generosity before or someone did something for you or someone gave you something that just shocked your life and it created inside of you this kind of response that made you want to do something about it. I remember a specific time in my life. It was a time of transition. I had just finished my generals at Normandale Community College not far from here and I thought God had wanted me to sell all my belongings, quit my jobs, and go overseas as a missionary. And I thought I was doing some heroic act, some godly thing, and thought God was in it, prayed, and uh, you know, thought this is exactly what God wanted me to do, and it meant putting in my two weeks at my job. And so as I gave my two weeks to my manager, my manager looked at me and said, hey, you can't give me your two-week notice. You need to give it to the sales manager. Well, the sales manager wasn't there that day, which meant I had to come back the next day to hand in my two weeks. And it also meant I needed to let my mom know my plans of what I was going to do. And I remember telling my mom that night, kind of mustered up the guts to let her know that her son was going to quit everything, sell everything, and go overseas as a missionary. My mom looked at me that night. She goes, you better not quit your job. And I remember being so upset, I went downstairs into my room, slammed the door. You know how kids can do that. They want the parents to know that they're upset, so they'll slam the door. I took my fist, I chucked it into my bed, was punching my bed, and I was like, God, see, my mom is the devil. She's trying to discourage me for being a missionary. She's trying to disrupt the plans that you have for my life. God, my mom's the devil. I was so upset. And I remember randomly opening up my Bible. It landed on 1 Peter, and some of the very first verses I read, it talked about honoring your elders. And it was like God was trying to get me to slow my roll a little bit and to recognize that my mom's advice wasn't the devil. God wasn't using, or the devil wasn't using my mom to get me to not be a missionary. And I remember I got a phone call that literally changed my life only a couple days later. The church I was attending, the lead pastor of the church called me and said, hey, Mike, I'd love to set up a meeting in my office. And I remember immediately freaking out because this pastor had never called me. It was a large church. He'd never met me with me before. He never wanted to meet with me personally. And I was like, what sin does he know that's in my life that he's going to call out? What is he going to get after me for? And so I was freaking out. But I remember it was a, a moment, an encounter I had that, I'll never forget and literally changed the trajectory of my life. As I sat down in his office on this big couch, I was sweating, I was nervous, and he spoke life over me that day. And he said, Micah, I just want you to know I've talked with the board of the church, I've talked with some other key people, and he said, Micah, we see a call of God on your life. We've watched you grow up over the last several years in this church, and Micah, we see a call of God on your life we want to help foster that. So what we're going to do, and you can say no, Micah, but what we want to offer you is we want to pay for all of your education for you to get a degree. And then, by the way, when you graduate, you can go wherever you want to go and go do whatever you want to do. But, Micah, we see a call of God in your life, and we want to make an investment into you. 
I was headed one way to go on the missions field. The door slammed in my face. And a couple days later, God opens up a door for me to get an education, to graduate with a degree, and literally change the trajectory of my life. And can I just say this? That one act of generosity, after that meeting, I left his office feeling on cloud nine, feeling in disbelief. Why would someone like me get an opportunity like this? My life was headed one way, and within a few moments, my life shifted into a completely different direction. And you want to know what it made me do? The act of generosity to pay for my school made me want to work as hard as I could to get the best grades I possibly could, to be diligent, to take hold of that which took hold of me. Generosity has a way of doing things inside of people. When people receive undeserved mercy or undeserved grace, it has a way to compel people to want to give back and work hard. The one requirement that the pastor said was, Micah, I want you to hand in your grades each semester. And I couldn't wait to give them the grades each semester because I worked hard. I put in the time. I put in the effort. Why? Because someone so greatly invested into me. Someone did something so extravagant for me that for me, the least I could do was to do everything in my power to succeed, to excel in my academics, and to work hard because of the great gift that was given to me. In fact, today we're going to take a look at a particular passage where someone was received with an act of generosity and he describes three ways on how he wants to live his life. Because of the act that was so generously done to him, he lays out three ways to live that he wanted to live. And we're going to look at those three things. And almost it's kind of like three goals. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church. And we're continuing on in our Philippian series. And we're just looking at three verses today. And I believe these three verses will challenge you, will help us get our mind back on track to what matters most and to live with purpose and live with intentionality. The title of today's message is In It to Win It. In It to Win It. Let's take a look at these three verses today. In Philippians 3, verse 12, it says, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, look, here's the deal. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Right there in those three verses, we see three ways in order to live three ambitions, three goals that was inside the Apostle Paul that we can apply to our life because why? We are called to be in it, to win it. The very first thing we can apply our life to, three things that we can do, the very first thing is this. Number one is I will fight for my relationship with Jesus. I will fight for my relationship with with Jesus. In verse 12, the very first point where we take this from, Paul says, look, I haven't already obtained all of this or I haven't arrived. In other words, what he's saying is, look, I'm not perfect. 
I'm far from perfect. I have my own issues. I'm working through them. But he talks about this. He says, I haven't arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Now, we got to stop for just a second. We have to ask ourselves, what do we mean by when Paul says, when Jesus took hold of me? Paul's saying, look, my goal, it stems from a root cause. It stems from something that happened in my life. And it all goes back to when Jesus took a hold of my life. Like, that is my starting point. Like, that's my why. And because Jesus took a hold of my life and got a hold of me, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to fight for my relationship with Jesus. Where was Paul headed? Well, just moments before this in verse 12, we see in the beginning of Philippians 3 verse 1, Paul lays out this long resume of what he had achieved and what he'd accomplished. He talked about how righteous he was in his eyes and how great he was in his eyes. And Paul talks about how he was headed one way, but then something happened in Acts chapter 9 where Jesus himself showed up and took a hold of Paul's life. Paul was uh, terrorizing Christians. He thought he was doing a service to God, when in reality, Paul was wrong all along. Paul was wrong about his ambitions. He was wrong about his own righteousness. He thought he had it right. He thought he had it all, but he recognized how sinful he was. In fact, Proverbs describes that those who consider themselves wise in their own eyes, those who think they're great in their own eyes or full of wisdom, are actually, in comparison to God, foolish. Like the wisdom of man is considered foolishness in comparison to God. And here Paul was thinking he was wise in his own eyes, doing everything right according to the law, and then he comes to realize how foolish it looked, how foolish it was. Why? in comparison to actually seeing Jesus. Paul recognized the grace that was given to him in his encounter through Christ in Acts chapter 9 when he's on a road traveling and Christ finds him. Christ takes a hold of him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting with me? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing these things? And in one moment, Paul recognizes his lostness. Paul recognizes his achievements and successes as being completely worthless, that they don't matter, they don't line up, they don't add up. Why? Because Paul had encountered the fullness of Christ. This is good news for somebody watching today. No matter who you are, no matter how messed up you are in your own eyes, or no matter how good you are in your own eyes, Every person desperately needs the love and the grace of Jesus, and you are qualified to receive that. Just how Christ found Paul and took a hold of Paul, Christ desires to find you and take a hold of your life. There is salvation today for every person who calls on the name of Jesus. There is love and a grace and a mercy and truth that's awaiting to get a hold of your life right now. Now, yes, even you watching on the screen, no matter where you've been, what you've done, salvation is available today in Christ Jesus. And Paul talks about it this way. He says this, my life was headed in this direction. I thought it was great. I thought it was purposeful, meaningful. I thought I was doing everything right until... 
Christ came and took a hold of my life, and then I realized I've been heading in the wrong direction the whole time. I thought I had life figured out. I thought it made sense, but until I met Jesus, I realized how lost I was. I realized how depraved I was, how messed up I was, how sinful I've been, how this whole time I thought I was doing something right for God, but recognizing my own efforts are that of like dung in comparison to what Christ can do in my life and what he did for me. Just how Paul was taken a hold of by Jesus. Paul says it like this, I am going to take a hold of that which Jesus has took a hold of me. We are far from perfect, and he goes to tell us this. Paul says, look, I'm not there yet. I have my own issues. Do you have issues? Because Paul's like, look, I am not there yet, but I press forward to take hold of it. Reminds me of a story of a friend of mine who battled with an alcohol addiction. He was wealthy, smart businessman, super smart when it came to the stock market. Money wasn't an issue. He had plenty of it. Well, one drink led to another and to another drink to where now he'd find himself 12 beers in. And alcoholism gripped his life to the point where it was destroying him on the inside. On the outside, he had everything together, a life that most people would want, beautiful house, great wife, everything that he needed, he had or wanted, he had. But he realized how lost he was. And he was losing to the battle of alcohol every day. Come home from work, open up a beer. Before bed, open up another beer. Alcohol was consuming and destroying his life. Until one day when someone invited him to a church service. And that day he ended up hearing the gospel and the love of Jesus. How there was purpose for his life. How he didn't need to abuse the bottle anymore. But there was something greater than any of it. And it being Jesus. That day, my friend gave his life to Christ gave up alcohol, has been following Jesus for several years now. But know what my friend told me? He said, Micah, every day I think about taking a drink of alcohol. Just because I follow Jesus, just because Christ has saved me, doesn't mean I don't have a thought of drinking another beer. But he said, Micah, you know what's different? I may have a thought of drinking a beer. But one thing I do is I fight for my relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to let alcohol enter my body. I'm not going to let booze take my life over again. I am going to fight for my relationship with Jesus, and I know how weak I am and how much I need Christ to take a hold of me. That is what it means to fight for your relationship with Jesus. Not only do we see Paul say that, but in the very next verse, in number verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, he says it again, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I'm not quite there. But one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. Your point number two is this, is number one, as we said, I will fight for my relationship with Jesus. And number two is this, I will forget the past. Paul tries to take a hold of Jesus, just how Jesus took a hold of him. You see this pressing on into Christ. And number two, Paul says this, one thing I do, he's drawing the listener into this one thing, forget the past. And if I can encourage anybody watching today, 
I want to encourage you to say this. I will forget the past. If there's anybody who had a past, it was Paul. And just moments before this, Paul thought his past was worthy of a life that was amazing and great. He lists out his full resume, lists his accomplishments, who he was listened to and who taught him and where the people group he came from. It was amazing. It was great. And Paul recognized that that past, how great it was in his own eyes, doesn't compare to knowing Christ. It's why a couple of verses before, Paul says, my utmost desire is to know Christ. Everything else is worthless. Everything else is dumb. It's meaningless. There's no point to it. I have one most desire, to know Christ and to forget the past. And the past can mean good achievements or good accomplishments in your own power. But a past can also mean wounds. A past can also mean things that have hurt. People that have taken advantage of you. Or maybe it wasn't things that people did to you. But maybe it was choices in you chose for yourself that now create hurt, bitterness, anger, frustration. Maybe it's a past of things that you can't seem to break away from. I'll just say this. The enemy is always trying to put the past in front of your eyes. And the reason why the devil will always bring up your past is because the devil doesn't have a future. He constantly tries to throw your past sins in front of your face. What you did yesterday or what you did last year or what someone did to you four years ago. The past is constantly trying to grip your present to keep you from the future that God has for your life. And Paul says, look, I focus on this one thing. I try to forget the past and I strain forward into the future that God has for my life. We are called to forget the past. Yet so many of us constantly focus on the rear view mirror versus the big windshield that's in front of us. God's in the driver's seat the whole time. Sam, you sit in the passenger seat. You don't need to look in the rear view mirror anymore because I've forgiven your past. I've made a way for you to break free from your past. And just how Paul tries to forget his past, well, guess what? You can forget your past too because I've forgotten. I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. And if there was anybody who had a past, who would it be? Paul. Why do I say that? If the enemy could try to destroy Paul, how would he do it? How would he plan it? Don't you remember where Paul's writing this letter from? He's writing it from a house arrest, from prison. He's chained up 24-7. What whispers would the devil try to whisper in his ear to try to destroy him from this past? Here's maybe an idea. Paul, how in the world can you worship Jesus and talk about how you want to know Christ when, Paul, you have blood on your hands? Paul, you watched the stoning of Stephen, and you stood there proudly while Stephen was stoned to death and executed. People were putting their, quote, their coats, their jackets right at your feet, and you were there approving it. Paul, who do you think you are to try to preach Christ and talk about Jesus when you killed the very people who chose to follow him? Paul, who do you think you are? If I was the devil and I could try to wipe out Paul, I'd keep throwing his past in front of his face, especially when he's in jail, a hard place to be 24-7 for the last two years. The devil always uses the past because he has no future. And because of Christ, we all have a future. Yeah, we all have a past.
But just like Paul said, one thing I do, I forget it because it doesn't need to hold me down. I think about some of the greatest athletes to ever walk the earth. You know what they all have in common? They have a way of focusing and forgetting the past and not letting the past mistakes trip them up. Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players to ever walk the earth, had missed over 9,000 shots in his career. 26 times he took the game-winning shot and missed. Michael could have focused on all the missed shots. Michael could have focused on all the game winners that he missed, all the failures. But you want to know what separated him from the rest? He didn't have room in his mind to focus on the past. But he looked forward to win the game. Why? Because his team needed him to show up and be present. His team needed him to enter the game with the confidence and not focus on the 30 shots missed before it because the next shot he take could be the shot that he makes. I just want to say this real quick. We need each other, and we need one another to forget the past and move forward together because we got a game to win, and we need you to let go of the victim mentality and start focusing on what lies ahead and what God is calling you to, to be like Jesus. We need each other, which sets me up for my final goal, my final point that Paul talks about. And number three, if you're taking notes, is this, is I will live to win. I will live to win. We are in this thing to win it. We're in it to win it. This is the section of scripture that Paul's saying, look, I'm doing all of this because I want to win. I don't want to lose. I'm not on a losing team. I want to win. Where do we see this? In verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's this association of winning, of not losing, but of winning. And not just winning someday, but doing everything in his ability to win right now. Now, there's an enemy that wants us to lose. There's an enemy that wants us to think we're defeated. But we have to remember whose we are and what team we're on, that we're on Team Jesus, we're on the winning team, and because of that, we're called to do everything we can in our life right now to win. You know what I find interesting about Paul and his writing style is Paul would often use sports or competition as analogies. You can see in 1 Corinthians 9 and 2 Timothy and the book of Hebrews. And you can see in different letters that he writes, he uses these sports analogies to try to help people understand, look, we got to rise up and win. In Romans, he says, don't you realize we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus? In other words, what he's trying to say is get up. You fell down, get back up. You're on the winning team. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews, he says, throw off everything that easily entangles your life. Throw it away. Runners back then, when they would run races, would take off every garment of clothes to try to get an advantage to win the race. Paul talks about these things to set it up and win, and he talks about how, how we're going to win is we're going to win in Christ. I'm headed towards heaven. My eternity is forever with Jesus, but I am not going to sit back and lose every day. I'm going to do everything I can to win. I will live to win. Paul does everything he can to recognize the audience and the readers and the listeners to say, we're going to win. So live in such a way that you win it. I have a 
challenge I want to give you for my message today. A challenge to provoke you to a daily response. Here's my challenge. I want you to create a daily plan that positions you to win in Christ. You've already won because of the righteousness of Christ in your life, what Christ did for you, not what you can do for yourself. But in the meantime, until we see Jesus and spend eternity with Christ, we're called to win right now. Set up a daily plan that you can do in your life to win every single day. How do we do that? Well, Paul encourages us that, look, there's some value for physical training. There's value to exercise for our bodies, to have a healthy body. Paul says that's great, but he says, you want to know what carries more value than physical training? Godliness. Working godliness in our life. Holiness, because that has value right now, like right here, right now. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your parenting. It impacts your work life. It impacts your thought life. It impacts your teaching. It impacts your education. Godliness is something that we can work with right now in our life that has value. It impacts every area, but it also has value forever in eternity. Paul says it another way. He says athletes like, they train to win a prize. They train to win a Stanley Cup or an NBA ring or a Super Bowl ring. Like, athletes train in such a way to win the championship. And then he goes on to say, but all of those, they all perish. Like, they don't last. But my training, like a boxer who trains, Paul says it this way, I train that kind of way to win a prize that won't perish, but to win a prize that will last forever. You want to know what he's talking about? He's talking about this. I want to win every single day, and winning for me means to look like Jesus. Paul writes it all over his letters to be like Christ, imitators of Christ, to be like Jesus, to take hold of that, which is what? Being like Christ. So I want to challenge you. All of us can do this, to set up a daily plan to win each day. What does it look like? Maybe it's a call to seek Jesus every morning, a call to pray, a call to worship, a call to open up the word of God, to find a place every day to get the word inside of you. What about this? Being accountable to one another, accountability in your life, getting a group of friends that can ask you hard questions, real questions. Hey, how are you doing? Why would I want to be accountable to someone? Here's why. So I can win. Every great athlete had a great coach. Every great athlete had a great trainer. What were they doing? Keeping them accountable to the athlete they can become, the person they're called to become. It's, there's no less for us. A plan to bless others, a plan to bless our neighbors, a plan to share our faith every day. We have got to win it. We have got to create a plan every day to help us win and be like Jesus. We are called to be in it, to win it. It leads me to my big so what. Today we've heard about how we're called to fight for our relationship with Jesus. We're called to forget the past and we're called to live in such a way as to win. But I want us to remind us of something today and it's our big so what. And it's this, it's that Jesus found you and saved you. Jesus forgave and forgives you. And Jesus, he set you up to live, to win in him. Jesus 
fought for me. Jesus forgave my past. And Jesus set me up to live, to win in him. It's easy to listen to a message like this and think about all the things we got to do in our own strength. But don't forget what Paul says to us. That all of this, that maybe it's my own strength, my own righteousness, all of it doesn't compare to the righteousness that Christ did for my life and who I am in him. You see, we're already winners in Christ. But we need to remember, Jesus went and found you. It's why Paul wanted to fight for a relationship with Jesus. You have to remember, Jesus already forgave you. Your past no longer defines you. He defeated death and he defeated sin when he died on a cross. And when he rose again, he made you alive in him. So you have to remember, Jesus, he fought for you. Jesus, he forgave you. And then Jesus set it up in such a way for you to win in him. It's what we're called to do. The gospel goes before you. The gospel can transform you. And the gospel allows us to take hold of that which Jesus took hold of you and took hold of me. These days we live in can be discouraging. At times it can be overwhelming, frustrating, maybe even angry. But don't you dare forget what Christ has been trying to tell us the whole time. You are a new creation in him. You are different. You live for a different kingdom. You're a winner. You're more than a conqueror. You're more than a winner in Christ. What he's done for you now calls us to be in it, to win it. Let me pray over you today. God, I thank you that any person watching this video can know that they can be found by Christ. That salvation isn't some afterthought, but that salvation can come right now. To every person watching and listening in, God, I pray they'd be found by you. They would receive your forgiveness. They would focus on forgetting the past and to live to win each day. Thank you that you don't leave us as orphans, but you call us friends. Thank you that you empower us to live a life in you. To every person hurting, every person sorrowful, every person needing a breakthrough, I pray right now, God, you would find them, encounter them, encourage them, quicken their hearts in Christ Jesus, quicken their minds in Christ Jesus, remind them of how rich and wealthy they are in you, that it's your mercy that found them. It's your mercies that are new every morning to encourage them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you are listening today and you want to start that relationship with Jesus, we want to know about it. So would you just send us an email at faith at zchurch.org. We'd love to connect with you and get you on the journey with us, journeying with us to grow in Christ and to win each day.